Underdog Collectibles is an online shop run for collectors by collectors. Join them every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night as they break new products, talk sports, and hopefully you'll pull a great hit to add to your collection. Visit them at www.udogcollect.com and tell them Waxpack Hero sent you. Remember, always bet on the underdog. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I'm recording this on the Saturday before Christmas, and this will release on the Tuesday before Christmas. And I tell you what, this month for my card sales have been amazing. I've been able to pick up a few great items for my own collection, which I've been having a lot of fun with. And I've been selling a ton, which means I've been shipping a ton. And I'm getting to that point where the post office is starting to get pretty backed up for what I'm trying to send. Most of the stuff is still making it okay, but I've got definitely a few items to customers that are getting pretty slow. I'm excited about the PWE tracking option that eBay is going to be rolling out in January. That's going to be pretty cool. But anyway, we did a shipping episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, It'll probably need to be refreshed again once that tracking for PWEs goes out on eBay. That's going to be a big game changer for that platform. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today we're going to kind of continue our conversation about would you want to own a trading card company, a supply company, an online marketplace, which of those would you want to own? Last week Ivan and I broke down some of those thoughts. Well today we get to hear straight from the horse's mouth. Brian Gray from Leaf Trading Cards is joining me for a conversation and we're going to be talking about his his path of owning leaf and how that came to be we're going to talk about what the last several years have been like for him running leaf and what some of those pros and cons are what he's learned along the way i think you're going to enjoy that conversation he was somebody that ivan mentioned in the conversation last week and so i reached out and asked if brian would be willing to come on and talk a little bit today and so without further ado i'm going to go ahead and bring on brian Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. A few weeks ago, I did a poll on Twitter that was saying, if you could own a business in the hobby world, what would you want to own? And I had card manufacturer, I had supply manufacturer, uh, online marketplace, uh, PSA is a grading company or Beckett is a media company. And the results of the poll were, were pretty interesting. PSA won, card manufacturer was second. Today, we've got a card manufacturer on the line and an owner of a card manufacturer on the line. So sure. it's great to hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, on, on what it's like. So again, welcome to the show. I know, Brian, you've had a life, you've had lifelong participation in the hobby. And today sure. you're a CEO of Leaf, but that's not where you started. So can you give us a feel for your journey from your early days of collecting till now? For sure. Well, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you kind of my, my summary to start, and then we'll go back. Basically, I always brag about one of the great opportunities I've had. It's I've been in every step of the hobby food chain. So um, because of that, I have experienced that 
most CEOs of the card companies or owners of the card companies don't have. I was a collector in the late 80s, before the boom, just a little before the boom. I came in at the perfect right time. I was one of those kids you read about in the newspaper, hustling around shows, making a lot of money, whatever. But um, then I went to work for a company called Edgeman, which was a big mail order house slash distributor in the late 80s, early 90s. I worked for ProSet for a short time in between right out of high school. But um, I went to work for Edgeman and we crushed it. We were one of the biggest distributors of mail order houses uh, back in the day. Uh, we did that for a long time, enjoyed the fruits of every fad that came along, whether it was Beanie Babies, Pogs, Web, you know, uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, which have turned out not to be fads, but legit. But um, we did all those things. Uh, we were a distributor, a secondary market distributor. We were probably the equivalent of a blowout or a David Adams before they were what they are today. And so, you know, we were in an interesting position there. Then in 2008, I decided I wanted to try my hand at manufacturing. And during that run, I was a distributor. We also had retail stores. So I've been a store owner, you know, so I've done all these different things leading up to it. But my dream was always to make cards. Um, I thought it was something that would be unattainable because I could never imagine the amount of money it would take to get started. The amount of it's very capital intensive, talent intensive, people intensive. It's a whole different zip code from what we were used to being hustlers, which I mean, distributors and uh, we're more hustlers. We're deal makers. We're flippers. You know, but this was a different mentality. This took a different kind of vision. And in 2008 with Razor, I took a stab and I signed, I think it was 25 of the 32 first round picks exclusive. Tops didn't have them, which was pretty crazy. I mean, you have to remember at that time, no draft pick had ever signed exclusive with any company, one player. But for 25 of the 30 or 32 first rounders to sign with someone is unheard of. So I did sign 25 of the first 32 and I think 45 or 50 total players exclusive in 2008. But, you know, in that time I'd made poker trading cards slightly before that with Razor, cut signature cards. But that was the first time we really made truly original content on the sports side of things outside of poker. And, um, you know, it was really a good getting our teeth kind of, you know, sharpened and learning a little bit about the business and manufacturing. We learned some lessons in that process. But in 2010, the most amazing opportunity came up. We had the chance to buy the Leaf brand. Um, you know, Donners had the Leaf brand. They didn't own it. They were renting it, believe it or not. And they decided to quit renting it when Panini bought them. So we were blessed in that we were able to buy the Leaf brand. And, and, and really, that bought us some history, some heritage, name recognition. And that was probably the most critical moment in my card career was obtaining a brand that had some cachet like that. And at that time, we made the decision, you know, we've got the brand now. Now it's time to ramp it up. And you'll see, you know, we did MMA and some other things in 2010. But in 2011 is when we really ramped it up. That's when you'll see things like football draft. We came up with our first football drafted medal, which may not sound like a big deal. But you have to remember in 2011, you had Press Pass and Sage making thin paper cards pretty much. No draft pick company was making really high-end draft picks. It just wasn't part of the equation because draft pick cards were always seen as, hey, they're the first option. They show players in college type uniforms. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of a fatty thing, you know, but we really set out to change that. We said, why can't this be done at ultra high quality? And so starting with 2011 metal, you know, we, we made draft pick something that was higher in, you know, and again, the, the rise has been pretty, you know, as you know, pretty much it's uh, an astral orbiter taking off since then. You know, we've grown consistently over the last eight or nine years. 
Um, we signed Levy and Lillard exclusive in 2012. I mean, we've had a lot of milestones, Jack. I call in 2015. But every year, sales ramping up, introducing high-end items, you know, and, and really testing what a draft pick or prospect or, or player license. I don't call it unlicensed. I call it player license. What a player license company can be and what it can do. And that's been our goal is to stretch the limits of that. And we have boxes now that are $2,000, $3,000 a box that are player licensed. So like the $1,500 a box. I mean, we've tested those limits and I think successfully. And so we found that this market, there is a huge niche for someone like us, especially in the world of exclusives in every league, that that's been our calling. And we've grown right into it. This year was a fairy tale year. We put up numbers that make me blush when I think about them. They are like, I'm humble when I see the numbers we put up this year and what we expect for next year. But, but the market's made a shift that we've been very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And the hobby is finally starting to say, you know what? Player license is good. It's okay. You know, it's not, a, there's no stigma attached anymore. I would, I would argue that our metal product in baseball stands up against, stands up against elite extra, which is PA license. You know, I think they're very much the same. So that's kind of my feedback and my thought process. And we've grown into that. But, but again, I think the key to everything is in evolving and doing these things is the experience of having been in every part of the food chain distributor, store owner, dealer, manufacturer, allows us to best serve every part of the food chain. That's been the key to everything. And that's where the, that's the shortcoming of most of the other manufacturers is there's a disconnect between ownership, leadership, and training and, and truly collecting cards. Panini's better than most of the others, I think. They have a lot of card guys in their program. But you know what I'm saying? Still, to have the top in leadership really being a card geek is a huge positive. Yeah, with this show, I really like to combine both the hobby and business sides of collecting. And I think sometimes, you know, collectors can share frustrations or suggestions on how to improve the hobby without fully understanding the business implications of that. And so I thought we could spend a little bit of time on some of those topics. You know, you just hit on player licensed versus league licensed. And it seems like people have a different perspective on that. A lot of people view that as a negative right off the bat. But, you know, as we've heard already, you've got a bit of a different perspective on that. Would you even want a league license if that opportunity was presented to you? Well, you know, we had a discussion with uh, NHLPA about a license for hockey at one point. Unfortunately, the person we we're negotiating with left the NHLPA during our negotiations and that went nowhere. But we did entertain that. Um, we would do a deal, but the deals are not, they're not favorable. They're not fair even really deals. They're terrible deals. Now, it's worked out with a hobby being a boomer that they're working out for the companies that have the exclusives. But just to put some color on it, licenses back in the day, like in 1991, when Wildcard got the license for football, it was a $250,000 guarantee. Wow. Now the guarantee is tens of millions. So like, it's a different zip code. If the guarantee were a million dollars, I'd take a football license, $2 million maybe, but it doesn't make sense to pay 15, $20 million for a football. Line. I don't know what they're paying, but whatever the number is, 10 million, 15, 20 million. I just don't think that that's necessary, especially when now that every league's gone exclusive, it's not even about paying. The leagues have all just decided they want to do exclusive deals. 
gives them control over the manufacturer. The manufacturer has leverage in the marketplace. There's all kinds of reasons. But for me, I'm very pleased to be in the position I'm in. A lot of people would say, well, why would you want to be in the business without a license? My answer is really simple. I get to be number two everywhere. In hockey, I'm number two. In football, I'm number two. If they gave licenses out like candy, I'd probably be number four or five. But I get to be in a much stronger position in these markets because of it. And because I don't have a license, like if you look at our multi-sport products, like Superlative, Ultimate, In the Game Used, those where we mix players from different sports in the same products, on the same cards even, the leagues would never allow that. So like if we had a league license, we could never do that. So we become the king of multi-sport releases. And we like that. We like being, that's our license in a sense, without having to take a legal license. Our license is we get to be the king of multi-sport product. We're pleased with that. We're okay with that. We just want to make sure that the that the uh, licensed companies that are um, exclusives, that they, um, they compete fairly in the marketplace. That's our bigger concern is that they compete fairly in the marketplace. Sure. So how does being player licensed impact your product development? I'm sure it has implications on photo editing, legal protections that you've got to make sure you're abiding by, uh, what sports that you can include. You know, you have, you have, like you said, multi-sport products, you have tennis products, wrestling products, football products, hockey products. Can you give a a little bit of a flavor on how you look at product development being Um, a player licensed company? Yeah, I think um, we, you know, we, we choose players and see what deals are out there. Certain guys we can't get because of the deals that are in place, but we try to do deals constantly. You know, we're trying to get new names. And I think uh, the one thing we've done, again, very effectively is we've been able to sign really elite players to our products, which we think is a great thing. But when it comes to product development, we're looking at those limitations. I mean, I'm not sure if we can use the logos or not. I'm not so sure that the leagues can say we can't use them. We choose not to. Because that's one legal fight that we're not really, we're, again, we're pleased with our place in the market. Why have arguments? You know, let's, let's do what we know we can do safely without having an argument over it and do it. But I'm, I'm not so sure legally we can't use logos. I think there's a fair use argument that Upper Deck made in the 2009 case against Major League Baseball. I think there's a fantastic case that we could use logos without any license. We're not doing that. I think there's a case we can use players without deals. The Buzz Aldrin versus Tops case. So there's legal precedent that I don't know if any licenses are necessary for any of this stuff, but it is a five to $10 million lawsuit to figure it out. And right now, honestly, we're doing great being number two. I don't know that we want to open the floodgates and have 50 people making cards in their garage legally. Right now, we have people making cards in their garage illegally, and eBay's cleaning that up. But I don't think, you know, I'm happy with the way the market is right now. Let someone else take on that $10 million fight. But what we'll do is we'll work around those self-imposed limitations, like airbrushing the jerseys, not showing the team marks, only utilizing images for players we have the rights to. Um, I don't know that we need rights to put Michael Jordan's face on a card because he's a public figure. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's. I think. I think there's probably intellectual property protection for us to use him. But we don't. We as a courtesy, we just put his name on there to describe the swatch. You know, if we have a piece of his swatch and then we just put his name underneath it. So we do things like that just to like tread on the side of caution. But I'm not so sure we have to be as cautious as we are. We just choose to in the in the spirit of friendliness and fair competition. So you also have other products that you put out. 
And so you've come up with other unique products. You've got, you know, your Pop Century 8x10 autograph product. You've got other repack products where you're buying, you know, graded cards from a wide range of other manufacturers, cards that already exist and repackage them into a product. You've had other, I guess this was still a trading card, but the Tiger King cards that you put out earlier this year. Sure. What's your process like when you think about some of these other non quote unquote non-standard products? How does, how does that all come together? Is that your your brainchild? Is that your team's working on that as far as what are some other outside the box opportunities? Well, here's the thing. Most of it does start with me. I mean, I'll just be honest, but, but what's unique about our situation is, and I did this, you know, we've done a lot of memorabilia repacks like mini helmets, which TriStar had done before. Baseballs, TriStar and Just Miners actually did it before TriStar baseballs. So people have packaged memorabilia before. It was the vision of saying, if you can put a mini helmet in a pack, why can't you put a football jersey and a football full-size helmet in a pack? And if you can put a baseball, why can't you put a bat? Why can't you put a basketball? Why can't you put – and so that made the memorabilia repack business explode. And that's one thing that hopefully when I'm gone someday, people will look back and say, man, these 58 companies that are repacking crap now, they probably owe some debt of gratitude to Leaf for expanding people's imagination on what's possible. And, and that's where we come up with things like some of these eight by tens and golf scorecards and golf balls we package. We package all these in the past, but the vision is usually when we're offered assets that are compelling, I have figured out and made the determination that the marketplace loves products that are mystery, random, hidden, even if it's not traditional cards. So I believe you could take almost anything that's collectible and put it in a box and make it a mystery and make it a hunt and make it exciting. And that's a lot of what we do on those kind of products. It's if we get offered a humongous deal or accumulate a lot of certain kind of asset, we may say, okay, it's time to make something out of that. We're currently working on one with Super Bowl tickets where you get a graded Super Bowl ticket and you get one of the greatest players in Super Bowl history, Joe Montana, an autograph of his, plus a graded Super Bowl ticket in every box. It'll be ultra limited, but like that's because we bought a, an incredible accumulation of Super Bowl tickets. So we let the wheels turn and that's how we do it. Now, in the case of Tiger King, I spend about 10 or 15 hours a week just beating trails down on different celebrities saying, hey, you want to do something for cards? Want to do something with cards? And one of my buddies brought me, um, you know, the, uh, the Tiger Queen, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> The alleged whatever, you know, and so, so we did cards. Uh, we did cards of Howard and Carol Baskin autograph, which got us on TMZ four times in a week, you know, which were fascinating. We actually had a deal with Joe Exotic to do autograph cards, but because of COVID, we couldn't get in prison to get them signed. And so, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, a lot of it's opportunity. We're just in the right place at the right time. And we just get some cool people, you know. So, again, a lot of these creative things really are just we're able to look at things and say, that's an opportunity. That's something that needs to be a product or whatever. And I think that's just how it happens. It's very organic. It's really not, there's really no monster formula. We look at assets and say, can that be a box? We look at celebrities and say, can that be a standalone or does it need to be part of a product? The market has been growing for the last few years. And you just recently alluded to the fact that Leaf has been growing over the last several years, and we have just been on fire here in 2020. 
So from a business perspective, how do you capitalize on this current market that we're in while still maintaining a strategic long-term vision? Well, the thing is, we can print as much as we want right now and sell it all. There's so much demand. We can make any amount we want. We still show some restraint, you know. Are our production levels higher than they've ever been? Absolutely. Can't lie about that. But the demand's 10 times what it's ever been. So, like, even if our production level's up some more modest percentage, you know, it's nothing compared to demand. And so, and again, with product acceptance growing, where people are saying player license is okay. Cards look like, in terms of quality, as nice as anything out there. With that acceptance, the demand, like, grows exponentially because it's market demand and then quality of product demand put together is an explosion. So our goal is to continue to produce under demand, whatever demand is. If demand pulls back two years from now, we'll pull them, we'll pull production now. If it continues to ramp up, we'll try to continue to ramp up. I'm not sure how much bigger we can get than we are now in terms of each product's production, but we can make more products. You know, we can find ways to, to continue growing. We, but like you said, we have to do it responsibly. And with a vision for the fact that we don't want to lose sight of the fact we're making collectibles. We make collectibles. As soon as you just start printing what everyone wants, you're making widgets. You're making TV trays or, or sunglasses. We're not in that business. We're in the collectible business, which means supply should outweigh demand if you're doing it right. But supply should underserve demand if you're doing right. it right. Sorry. Where do you think the market's headed over the next few years? Continued growth? Do you think we'll see consolidation? You know, PSA was just acquired, right? And, and is going to be going private. More licenses or, or, or more exclusives from some of the other, other um, sports or other entities that are out there. Where do you think things are headed over the next couple of years? I mean, I'll tell you, I think first and foremost, I think someone asked me the other day, someone said they thought we were in the seventh inning of a nine inning game. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. We're in the second inning of a nine-inning game. And some people were taken back by that. They're like, how can you say we're in the second inning? I said the same way that when people were buying Tesla stock at 100, they thought we were in the seventh inning of a story with Tesla. But now you look, split adjusted is 3,600 a share. But you, had to, you have to understand, any humongous market shift, at any point in that shift, it's going to look like it's the end of the road, right? I mean, Apple, first time, Apple used to be $6 a share. Mm -hmm. Then it went to 100 Now split adjusted, it's 4000 Okay, so like, you know you know what I'm saying? You adjust for all the splits. So it's like at some point, you had to be at all these steps along the way. So you can't get caught up on today. You have to think forward. Now, are there places where you see things and you're like, oh, that could be frothy? You know, some of the wax prices today are high. The market is too high on some of these items. And I think the manufacturers have some control to try to kick up production a little bit to help level that off a little bit because it is getting a little cuckoo on some items. But again, our job is not to regulate the secondary market as much as just to make a great product and let the market do its thing. Our ability to adjust is to make a little more to try to help settle the market down a little bit. But every attempt to do that has failed so far. We make more, market runs it up higher. It makes, you know, it's, we can't do anything about that. I think we're still very early in the game. Um, I think Leaf year over year, I mean, I will tell you that our sales doubled last year. Our profits quadrupled last year. So we grew dramatically. I will tell you that in 2021, I wouldn't be shocked if we're up another 30 to 50% year over year. Those are big increases. That's huge growth. You know, if you look back to the first year we had Leaf, 
we're, we're, we're 15 times the size we were in year one in 2010. So like, that's a big, long, but that's phenomenal growth. It's actually technology company growth that our industry has never seen anything like that. So I think, I think we're early in the game, humongous upside still, the money pouring in is real and it's substantial and consolidation is hundred percent happening. Obviously the PSA deal, I don't know if that'll be the final price, but they will get sold, even if it's a little higher price. But I can tell you, I know 10 other companies that are in talks and I think you're going to start seeing companies falling like dominoes. If we're early on, it would seem to, you would seem to think that that means if it's going to be sustained for more innings into the future, to use your analogy, that part of that has to come from an expanding customer base and an expanding collector base, right? Would you agree with that? The growth has been phenomenal. The outside money pouring in is substantial. And every time you hear about a million dollar yawn that's from Golden's auction, you're going to see another wave of people who say, you know what? I love Cardinals as a kid. Let me give that a try again. And I think, I mean, I think that growth is real and it is new customers. It hundred percent is new customers. I can tell you now the number of stores today is double what it was two years ago. We've doubled the number of stores in this country in two years. And one year of that we were closed because of a deadly pandemic. So like, I mean, for real, the growth is phenomenal. The customer base growth is phenomenal. It's just, I don't see an end inside the short term. Could we have a few little hiccups where things soften up a little bit? Sure. But if we don't, that's how you sustain a rally for 10 or 20 years. If you have sell-offs and pullbacks and because in the stock world, you want to scare people out of stocks that aren't in for the long run, that are not strong hands, that are weak hands. You want to shake them out sometimes. So the market will have pullbacks just because if you're not a full bull, you'll sell your crap and you'll find out, whoops, I was premature. And people did that when Jordan rookies hit 35,000 in Atlantic City a few years ago, PSA 10s, they pulled all the way back to 15. Now, I heard people back then saying, what a scam that card was. Well, one sold golden for 200 plus. Was it a scam? It's over 200,000 plus. Three years ago in Atlantic City, we were crying that it was 35,000 and three months later, it was 20. It lost 30% in three months. But Lucas, Luca Prisms, were 15, 16, 1800. They dropped all the way to 1,000. People were like, oh, that was a hype job. Well, guess what? They're 1800 again. Yep. So these things happen. And what happens is smart investors and, and collectors accumulate during these sell-offs. Same thing as stocks. When Apple goes down, people accumulate. It seems to always go back up somehow, you know, and there's, and there's going to be some lemons in the bunch that don't pan out, you know, but overall, you know, the market is proving to be very, very resilient. And almost every pullback has been a buying opportunity. What are some of the things that you have coming up at LEAF that you're excited about to take advantage of this current market that we're in? I mean, honestly, I can't even pinpoint anything because honestly, it's just, we're executing on all cylinders. The products look better than ever. We're adding phenomenal names to our products. I mean, that's one of the things I'm most excited about is just we're adding names left and right. And they're good names. And you'll see in some of these multi-sport products as we start making announcements, We've added some really good names there. The football draft picks, we're already signing. We've already signed 30 football draft picks for 2021. Because of the COVID opt-outs and such, the names are dropping like crazy. So, I mean, I'm excited about what we're offering in terms of player and celebrity. You know, For Pop Century, we just did Sylvester Stallone last week. That's a big name. Mm-hmm. You know, we did, you know, we had John Travolta last week. We just did Ray Liotta this week. 
You know, we, we added Michael Keaton for Pop Century. Batman, never had any, he's never signed anything. So I think there's a lot of exciting things happening. And I don't think I can even pick one right now. Just trying to keep up with the demand is all that's in my radar. It's keeping up, at, keeping up with demand at a quality level that I'm, we're pleased with. No company and no leader are perfect. And there's always things that can that we can do to improve. And so I've got a couple of questions kind of along those lines. What is something you wish you would have done differently at Leaf? Um, the only thing I can think of is I have fought this growth for a long time. We could have grown much more the last two years. But I was a stickler for I want to way underproduce demand. And I think if I can go back and redo it again from a business standpoint, I would have started easing production up the last two years so that it's not as stark as the increase now. I think that's an issue that I could have done better probably. But I think our hires and our people and the intellectual property deals we've gotten into, I think they're really strong personalities. The brands, the quality of those products has improved dramatically. I don't have any second thoughts about what we've done. We're just moving forward with excitement you know, I mean, if we're part of this consolidation at some point, who knows if we are or aren't, we don't comment on things like that. But if we are part of that, one of my biggest regrets will probably be doing something too soon because I think we're in the second inning and it's hard to do deals in the second inning when you know it's only going to get better for a little while anyway. You know, so I, I think we're probably premature to be looking at those opportunities. But I'll be honest, everybody I know in the business at a high level is looking at these opportunities right now. I literally know 20 companies that are in some talks to either be acquired, merge, or something. That's a lot. That's a lot. PSA was just the first shoe to fall, and I believe big shoes are going to start falling really soon, and you're going to be shocked. What is something that you admire or have learned from one of your competitors? Um, you know what? I, I think i got to be honest. I'll give some credit to Panini. You know, when they first came into this market, I had a lot of skepticism. I, was, um, I wasn't sure. Their picture was a huge, big picture vision. They poured tons of money into marketing. And I got to be honest, I, I very much admire what they've done over there. Because they had, I hate to say, they had balls. And they really, they took a shot here. And there were some years that probably weren't very, you know, profitable there. But man, what a great investment they made in the category and at the right time. You know, I'm envious, but what I've taken away from that is I have always spent the, in my time in the hobby being a singles hitter, minus 2008 signing all the draft picks exclusive. Generally, I've been a singles and doubles hitter. I don't swing for the fences because I don't like striking out. So call me Tony Gwynn. I've been happy hitting 350. You know, I'm okay with that. But I think I've, I've, I've gotten some courage to start swinging bigger with what I see in the marketplace. The marketplace is so strong, you can't miss anyway. The ball's the size of the earth. So if you swing, you're going to hit it. It doesn't matter. But besides the fact that I have that confidence, I've seen some other people make some very confident moves. And I take away from that, that their confidence in the industry, coupled with my vision for what I see coming, there is no reason to be scared, shy, or anything like that right now. Only reason to be excited. Last question that I've got for you. I, I touched on towards the very beginning, and that has to do with collectors sharing feedback. Do you have any suggestions on how collectors can share meaningful feedback to you or Leaf? Well, first off, I'll tell you, in the old days, in, the, when I, in 2008, when I signed Tim Beckham, the number one pick exclusive, Beckett, I put my phone number in Beckett. 
so people could literally read the article and call me because I wanted to interact with people in a way nobody else had ever done before. Now, I have to be honest, we've gotten to a size where that's harder to have our phone conversations with thousands of people. Not going to happen, probably. I, there's not enough days in a week or hours in a day, but my email is still very out there. It's brian at leaftradingcards.com. Anybody can email me feedback and I will reply at the very least with a, hey, thanks for your feedback. But, but I'm with you on the part where I always have found that the most constructive feedback or the most effective debate is one where someone presents a balanced presentation of the issues. When someone calls me and says, you know, blah, 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 off of the, nothing's good. Everything's horrible. Everything's horrible. Everything's horrible. And it's like, after like an hour of reading a, a, a 10,000 word email saying oh, everything's horrible, they've never had a good experience. It's like, okay, that's like saying, you know, I picked the number one to 10, 28,000 times. I never got the right number. You got the right number sometimes. I mean, come on. You know, and, and so I, as I tell my daughters, always, nevers are usually not good words because they're usually false. Things aren't usually always one way or never this way. It's usually somewhere in between. And so when people present something and say, you know what, I really enjoyed Pop Century, but I didn't like getting a memorabilia card. I wanted it to be all autographs. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I made a note of the feedback because we're going to meet to talk about Pop Century in a few months. Sometimes I'll say to them, how would you feel if it was 200 a box instead of 150? Because that would be the difference. Or 180 instead of 150 wholesale. You know, sometimes I'll ask them, are you willing to pay the price to see it be what you want it to be? Why can't all your cards be on card? I constructively share that players are losing cards left and right. That by doing stickers, we get the products out faster. We don't have Trinity football coming out in November when it should have been out in April or May, and granted there's a pandemic, but still, we didn't need that product in November or October. We needed it in May. So again, by doing stickers, we're going to find a way. Now we'll find a way to add value for the inconvenience, but we've got to condition people that it's okay. And so, you know, long-term, I think that's kind of like when people share things or when I see that it's from their heart and it's not just them flying off the handle or ball busting for fun. Some people just like to be keyboard warriors for sport. And occasionally I'll engage him just because, what the heck, you know, I'm all for a spirited debate. But once people quit being rational and stuff, then I kind of tune out. I'm like, you lost my interest. You know, when you're being rational and you present a reasonable argument, I'm like, you know what? That kind of made a lot of sense. You know, I can, I can get my arms around that. But when someone's totally irrational, I turn off and move to the next one. I've got plenty of people that want to have our ear. So we've got to address our ear places where, again, you don't have to like kiss up to me. Just tell me what's up. But if you give a balanced and reasonable request for information, that's different than a an indictment that we don't care about you because we use stickers on this product. The fact is we can't send Giannis 42 cards for a product to sign. doesn't work like that. He wants to do it all in one sitting for the whole year. So like there's no other way than stickers or else we're not going to have many products. Would you rather not have them in our products or would you rather have them as a sticker? That's what I thought. You know, so those are the things we have to work through. But but ultimately, well-presented debate, discussion, whatever, I'm all about it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciated the conversation, getting some of those insights from you. You for mentioned sure. your email already. Where else should people follow along with what you've got going on and follow along with what Leaf has going on? Well, I'm on, on Twitter. We're at underscore, Leaf underscore cards, Leaf underline cards. 
and but honestly, a lot of people follow me at, at, at Leaf CEO because not only do I give you like some updates on what we're doing and things like that, but I also give for the people out there that are speculating or investing in cards. What I do different than all the other guys who give you their opinions, which are worth what you're paying for, which is probably zero, but I like to think mine are worth a little more. I tell people when I'm about to buy something, I tell them at the same time before I buy a single copy. Because I don't like people who go out and buy all the copies and then tell someone what a great buy a card is. It's like they're saying it just to increase the value of their inventory. I would rather say, hey, you know what? I see value in 84 Tops Marinos and Elways and PSA 9s, and I'm going to snag everyone on eBay under 315 minutes. So if you want to go buy them right now, you better go buy them because I'm going to buy everyone under 315 minutes. And then I will literally go on and buy everyone under, if it's 100 copies, I don't care. I'll buy every copy under the number I have set in my mind. Every so often, it takes more time. Cards don't go up as fast as we want. But if you look back at all my tweets, they've been pretty good over time. And most of the time, I shy away from shiny stuff because I, I don't see the value in the shiny stuff. I see most of the long-term value in non-shiny stuff. But there's buys in the shiny category also, the prisms, chromes, whatever it is. But I like to focus a lot of attention on non-shiny stuff because I think there's a lot of value still to be unlocked there and the market's proving it. Look at the records that are being set. Gretzky's rookie doesn't shine. Jordan's rookie isn't shiny. You know, there's plenty of money out there to be gotten in non-shiny assets. So that's probably my specialty. And if you follow me at Leaf CEO, you get it free. There's no memberships. There's no, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just tell you what I like. And if I'm wrong, you got what you paid for. And if I'm right, you got more than you paid for. Thanks again, Brian. I appreciate it. You got it, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's always interesting to me when you hear directly from the leader of an organization, a leader from a company, and Brian was very open in sharing some of the growth that Leaf has had over the last few years and some of the things that he feels have gone well and some of the things that he wishes he would have done maybe a little bit differently. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me on Twitter at Summer. Send me an email at waxpackhero at gmail.com. And of course, please leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps me know what you think of the show and it helps other people find it. Well, that's all I've got for you today. So until next time, keep on collecting.